McMaster has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at MAC, as we learn the moments that their path from MAC became unconventional. Today, I'm joined by Natasha Pupilin, who took a passion she developed outside of the classroom and turned it into a thriving business with a client that barks their pleasure. After graduating from the Life Sciences program, Natasha worked in a lab, and while the work was interesting, it was not something that she could see herself doing long-term. Instead, it was a random decision to volunteer at a local animal shelter on her days off that she found her true calling and is now the first full-time behavior coordinator at Western Canada's largest grassroots rescue, designing their behavior program and partnering primarily with First Nation communities across Alberta. She now runs her own business in Alberta, demonstrating the benefits of following your heart and doing what you love and giving back. So thanks for joining us today, Natasha. So let's go back to your days as a McMaster undergrad and think about you as a life science student. Did you sort of have a master plan of where you were going to go at that time? Because where you are now, which we'll talk back, uh, talk about in a few minutes, is different likely than what you your master plan would have been when you were an undergrad, or maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I, I absolutely have to confess that I did not have a master plan. In fact, I fiercely avoided that conversation whenever it was directly asked of me. Um, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, would ask me sort of periodically or frequently like, so what are you planning to do? And oh, I would like give a quick answer and oh, there's lots of things you can do. And I would sort of recite the marketing messages that I was hearing from McMaster. Oh, there's just tons of opportunities. Uh, but I didn't really know, like I was really enamored with, and I was really passionate about the material I was learning. And I was there because I was in love with microbiology and neuroscience and all that kind of stuff. But as far as what I was going to do with it, I had no idea. I just was really really committed to this idea that if I did something I really enjoyed, I'd figure it out eventually and it would be be kind of my best path. So why did you choose life sciences at McMaster? Because I, I always find it interesting because when I um, was at Mac, there was no life science program. And then when I came back to work at Mac, I felt like every student I talked to was like they were in life sciences and it grew from a small program to a really big program. So what was it about life sciences that you thought, okay, this is for me? Um, Again, sort of admitting a little bit of something that most people don't know from that time in my life was it, it gave me the latitude to look into and be a part of the subjects that I really loved, like really sparked joy for me, but was almost non-committal. It still left things a little open-ended for me. And so I knew that I could really get into the subject matter that I loved without having to like have too much of a path, right. Or too much of a track that I was on. Uh, and you know, that may be a bigger conversation about personality traits and, you know, fear of failure or whatever. But at the time it was like, I was really committed to this idea that if I did something I just was in love with, I would figure it out later and it would all come together in the right way. So when you graduated, you went and did a job at a lab, if I'm correct on that. Yes. So talk a little bit about, okay, you're, you're, you're about to graduate. You have that moment of like, okay, I got to figure this out. What am I going to do? What was your first job post McMaster? 
My first job post McMaster. So I moved from Ontario to Calgary because my husband's from Calgary and this is where we wanted to be. So I got a job at a lab and I hope this gets some giggles for you, but I was um, a technician in a lab that sex bull semen for the dairy industry. And I know that sounds generally off-putting, but it was such a cool opportunity as an undergrad because I got to work with machinery and equipment that I remember hearing as a student would really only be available to me in those really well-funded labs, sort of post-grad or, you know, um, master's work or, you know, PhD work or would really not be accessible to me unless I had like some sort of specific or special involvement. But this lab, we had, you know, technology and machinery that I was just like in awe of because I'm looking around I'm like you mean I get to do this every day like I thought this was only the most privileged people um it was super super cool and I can't um speak too much to what I got to do because they have um it's obviously a proprietary process and it's their own thing but like what a cool and dazzling experience for a newly graduated student it was really cool and it's something that you wouldn't have necessarily ever thought that you would be doing right you're in the program yes. like, like <laughs> oh no I didn't even know that was an option but I was, I mean, we're, we're rural, like Calgary is in the middle of rural, right? Like we're just sort of city in the center of farmland, right? It's such a cool place to be, but I grew up in a dairy community in Ontario. So it was a really cool way to integrate like all of my parts of self, right? Like this educated part of self versus, you know, what I grew up surrounded by as a kid and then who I might like to be as an adult. Like it was such a cool thing to be able to do. So for um, our folks who are listening to the podcast, there's lots of pictures of, of dogs in Natasha's, um, in the, that I see in the screen and there's a, and there's a dog that pops up every once in a while. So let's kind of go along like sort of matching the passion, right? Like you obviously have a passion for dogs um, and you ended up doing some volunteer work, which I think then led you to taking a really big risk in your next venture. So why don't we sort of talk through, you know, I think you would have been in a shelter doing volunteer work and why was it important to do volunteer work? Cause you're kind of matching the two, you know, you've got a fantastic job, but you also have this passion for dogs. Yeah, like, I mean, I have to be really honest and say, like, I am intensely social, like for me, being with people and connecting with people is just like, it's a, absolutely necessary, but admittedly at a level that's maybe a little bit more than everybody else needs. So working in a lab for me was really almost isolating and it was really not sort of fulfilling in that social way. So I was working like four days on, four days off, three days on, three days off. So I had like this big chunk of time in between and I don't really know how I, I found the in actual rescue. I, I've been a longtime supporter of Alberta Animal Rescue Crew here in Alberta. They're an incredible grassroots rescue, has grown to be one of the biggest grassroots rescues in Canada that I know of. Um, only matched by people in the States that I've seen as I've traveled. But I started volunteering there as a way to just start to get a little bit of an opportunity to give back and meet some people. And I still really didn't know anybody in Calgary. And I was trying to like find a place for myself here was my husband had all of his high school friends and all of his family here. I was trying to make a place for myself. And, you know, it might've seemed like a leap, but when I was a kid, my dad and his friends found um, a mom and pops that were abandoned in an old house. And you know, live trapped them all, found them good homes. And when I was like 10 years old, I was rehabilitating feral puppies for the purpose of helping them have a better life because that was what we felt was the right thing to do. So it wasn't really a leap. Like going to rescue was sort of a, a rekindling of like old things uh, in my life that I had really enjoyed. And, and I had a dog at the time, but 
he wasn't social himself. He had a lot of reactivity. So I don't know. It was just sort of a, I think it just landed in my lap and it really wasn't until after I was there that I realized how much like I loved being part of the rescue world. And so then what, you know, based on that, you obviously have a love for it. You have a background and whatnot that made you, made you think that you could carve out a, a business in, in, in that world. Yeah, that's just sort of a ball that started rolling downhill and picked up steam as it went. So it was, it, it went exactly like this. I started in the shelter as a caregiver and I was walking dogs and cleaning the runs. And then I thought, geez, I really connect with this really difficult dog that no one seems to be able to foster. Maybe I'll take him home. And then a few more of those, no one else seems to be able to foster this, but I think I can do a good job. And I realized some of my other foster homes were were really struggling with similar cases that we had made short work of. So I started reaching out with other foster homes and asking if I could share some of the things that we learned in our, in our time fostering. And then I started to sort of consistently hear this phrase, which is, wow, you really know your stuff. And I had to always come back with, no, I just really like these, you know, these things, or I really just like this work. Um, and it, it honestly, then just snowballed from there. I got transferred out to Vancouver with uh, a new job I had at that time and started volunteering and rescue there. And people kept saying the same thing. Wow, you really know your stuff. And I'm like, no, like I don't have anything official. I just really love this stuff. And so not long after that, I, I realized that I had both the education. I mean, clearly a university level science degree was going to be sufficient to take the exam for dog training. Um, but I'd also accumulated enough hours working with dogs and coaching others that I was going to be able to take the exam. And the deadline was a few days off. I just like doubled down, got the signatures I need, studied the last few things I wanted to brush up on and nailed it. So that was sort of the launch point, but I'm telling you, it just really just picked up its own speed. Um, from there, I was I was working in Vancouver and the job at ARCS, the Alberta Animal Rescue Crew opened up and I flew back to Calgary for the interview. I was like, if I could go from doing this in my spare time, part-time for fun to doing it full-time at a shelter, like what a dream that would be. And so, yeah, I flew home, did the interview got offered the job, moved my life back to Calgary. And it's sort of, it's sort of taken its own speed from here. It's all just sort of falling into place. And now you own your own business, correct? In, in what you yeah. do? Yeah, I do. Yeah. The rescue world sort of, I, I made some, I was at ARCS for quite a few years. And then I was at Calgary Humane Society as the team leader behavior for a little while. Um, and I was just sort of evolving through those pieces, but around the time that COVID hit us, and I think everyone's got their when COVID happened story, Mine is that I just felt more comfortable having control over my own schedule and, you know, control and access to where I would be going and who I'd be seeing. And I really just leaped off the ledge and decided to work for myself. And it's been, it's been amazing. So what have you learned about yourself now that you're a business owner? Oh, I have learned that I am a compulsive or like a chronic overachiever. And what's been really freeing or nice about working for myself is that I get both that compliment of creative and then the actual work piece of it, right? So I'm the administrator, I'm the bookkeeper, I'm the actual doer of the work. I'm seeing people in, in person. And then I have that creative element of, you know, process design and resources and that kind of stuff. I think the biggest shocker for myself is uh, how creative I am. I've always sort of been resolute in this identity that I'm just not creative and I'm just not artistic and I'm just not, you know, sort of that more creative side. It's just not me, but uh, I really am. Uh, and it's been really cool to step into a role where I get to explore some of that for myself. It's been fun. 
No, it's probably finding the thing that you really love that allows your creativity to come out, right? So that's what people need to do. It's like everybody has a bit of creativity in them, but maybe it's finding the thing that you love. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting, this might be an overshare, but let's go for it, is in shelter work, when you're in the behavior department, it's um, you don't have any control over what your intake is, right? Your shelter is going to intake dogs based on space and foster capacity and other considerations, but whichever of those dogs admitted to shelter are behaviorally needed or like have behavioral needs, they just get delegated to you and you sort of do it. And so having control of my own intake and my own flow has allowed me to like set aside time for creative space. And, you know, I don't really have my, I mean, I, I am my boss, so I just don't have to ask permission to be like, Hey, can I take on this project that I really think would take off? I just do it now. And that's barriers to access. I think is a little bit of it before, but feel very privileged to get to do that now. So describe to me like a, a regular day in your world. Oh, that is so chaotic, but it's kind of the best fit for me for it to be that way. So I have a four-year-old son and uh, one of my privileges as a business owner is that I get to carve out my mornings to be with him. So we wake up late, we hang out, we have breakfast, we watch whatever TV show he's into. Uh, and then I get him ready and his uh, professional friend, as I think we've been calling her, but basically his nanny comes to the home and she'll spend a few hours with her, him while I do some paperwork or I might do some like reporting or you know whatever I have to do um or in this case you know while we hang out and then around you know mid-afternoon I put my work away I take some time with my son we we do some more activities together we have a little bit of connected time and then I start making dinner because hubby's going to come home and he's going to take over parenting while I go out and see clients in the evening so I get to be you know a mom and an administrator and a business owner. And then I get to be all the parts of self every day. It was very dynamic, but I really enjoy it. Yeah. You wear a lot of hats in one day, right? Like it's not just a regular nine to five job. You get to, you know, you, you're many things to different people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think you, you pull from your education at McMaster in your day-to-day -day as a business owner? Is there anything you can kind of draw back either, you know, academics or maybe some extracurricular things you were involved with at the institution that you think, oh yeah, I kind of learned that at Mac and how, and how you're able to use that? Honestly, all the time. Like it's all the time. And I think this is one of my sort of marketing messages or differentiators as a trainer in my area is having a scientific background really gives me a very different perspective. Um, you know, this may or may not be something you're familiar with, but I feel compelled to share with you that like trainers as sort of a, if we just kind of broad strokes are really into operant conditioning. That sort of four-sided Punnett square is like as broad as they go. I'm going to say dick day is in my head just about every single day. Um, and I talk, I talk about him to people. They have no idea who he is, but of course he's a celebrity to us. When he says, you know, in our coursework, kind of the early years, okay, they thought this was the explanation. They thought this really encapsulated what they were seeing. They did the research. They confirmed it was true. But wait, someone else had a better explanation that, you know, explained the pitfalls of this. It's like, I really take that into my work and I don't feel like any one school of thought is for dogs. I feel like there are 36 different ways that dogs learn and it's my responsibility as their behavior coach or, you know, kind of however they see me um, to help them find out which one best applies for that dog. So yeah, honestly, dick day is in my head all the time and I am constantly instilling these sorts of insights and and more open-minded thinking onto my colleagues and my clients. And, you know, it's, yeah, I would, I would tell you, I use my education piece all the time. 
So you moved from Ontario to Calgary um, with your um, husband. So did you find that a big, you know, change for you? Did you have a hard time when you moved from province just getting settled in? Because you you did reference earlier in your, our conversation that your husband was from Calgary, has family and friends, and you're sort of like the gal from Ontario. So how did that, how did you manage that? Well, it's, you know, Calgary is kind of an inter interesting place that way, because like we kind of joke here, no one who's in Calgary is from Calgary. Like everybody here is from somewhere else. When people ask me where I'm from, which is the sort of inevitable question, assuming I'm not from here, I say, I'm from Ontario, but my husband's from Deer Run. And everyone goes, oh, he actually grew up here, right? Like it's sort of a shocking thing. But I will say it, it was a transition. Calgary is a very, like, it's a very friendly place having lived in Ontario, Alberta, and BC now. Calgary is the most friendly and the easiest to get to know people. And it's, yeah, like, there's just, it feels like home for me. But there are some, like, cultural differences, right? Like, even in the way that we ask questions or the way that we communicate with each, like, it was so fascinating for me to look through that lens of, like, sociology and see, like, you know, the phrases or sayings I would have had from my hometown versus how I looked funny saying them when I came to McMaster. And then again, when I moved to Calgary. So it, it really was the most seamless adjustment I've had in all the moves I've had. And I will tell you that even though this isn't home, like Calgary is home for me. There's just a feeling about this place that feels really, um, really comfortable for me. I would just would never live anywhere else. I don't think. Yeah, it is a beautiful city. And especially, you know, I've, we have lots of grads in Calgary. So coming to do events and whatnot, you come in from the airport, it's always blue sky when I come to Calgary. It's nice and open and stuff. So you get you get to do that. So I'm I'm sure you've embraced the um, outdoors life in Calgary and all the things that you can do. Because I understand in my pre-reading that you're a, and I have not interviewed anyone who's who has this on their resume, storm chaser and aurora chaser. So very much a novice. I'm still asking the local groups where the heck I have to park my car because I will literally be out on a night that there's a, a visible aurora borealis which for me is like it's magical right from ontario i've never seen one so i will literally be sitting out near the observatory looking north and i'm seeing pictures all around me i'm in mahogany i'm in cranston look at the auroras from my backyard and i'm like help ah, like where do i have to be parked to see these things you know so i'm very much a novice but that's my bucket list goal right now is I've got to get myself out in the middle of the night and I've got to see Aurora Borealis. And if I cross my fingers really tight tonight, the stats are looking really good. So if I can stay up late enough, I may just be lucky enough to see them. Today may be the day. So a storm chaser, why does one want to be a storm chaser? Well, I, uh, you know what? I have always really been fascinated with that, like just that cloud formation and cloud movement. And, you know, you mentioned when you show up at the airport in Calgary, like these big, beautiful blue skies. And it is so incredible. Like, can I tell you, for somebody who has that enjoyment, what an indulgence it is to like go out on my front porch and watch a storm self form from the West and watch it pick up speed. And I'm standing there saying to my husband, that's going to drop a tornado in Chestermere in like one hour, you know, and I'm able to see that. But because we have such a range of view here and you can see clear to the mountains you can see that tornado cell or that storm cell form gain speed move through parts of the atmosphere and then just unload and you can see it like for where you would have to drive for three hours you can stand in one place and watch that all happen it's incredible 
All right. Well, I'm going to have to watch maybe Twister again tonight or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the schlocky movie from the 90s. So if we were to go back, Natasha, and ask yourself, like, think of yourself as your first year self at McMaster. What piece of advice would you give your first year self now? I feel like that's so hard. You know, really, I feel like I'm still still putting that into words because I'm one of these people who is very orderly and I like to have a plan. I like to know what's going on. And I think I'm still gripping with that. What is that advice I need to give to self when I'm feeling that way? But for now, I think I'm still coaching myself to believe that it's okay to do things because they make you happy. Even if you don't know what you're going to do with it or where that's going next. Um, I feel like that's really important, especially when I consider like the people that I'm talking to that are at, you know, university age, going into university, going back to university, any of that kind of stuff. Sometimes we go to university because we have this really direct or specific plan. And I think, you know, if you're going into nursing or something, you're going into, you know, the X-ray program, like the RADS program, that kind of stuff. Yes, totally makes sense. But not all of those programs at McMaster have a direct outcome that way. And it is okay to do those programs and to learn about things that you love you will figure it out. You will get where you're going if you keep indulging in those things. But without that background, how how could you materialize the things that you would want to do with that knowledge? Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, it's such an exciting question. Okay, so I, in my work, I've been really committed to this idea of increasing the welfare of animals with severe behavior issues, right? So sometimes animals that we're working with have very severe clinical diagnoses and they really struggle on a day-to-day. And to quote my very insightful husband, they just don't fit into the world that we live in, you know? So we're looking right now at building a business plan and looking at buying a facility just outside of the city where we might be able to offer more of the amenities or the services that those dogs need to be able to live more fully and just more enriched lives rather than leaving their door and becoming reactive or shutting down from fear or, you know, overwhelm from the things that they see around them that they're just not prepared for. Um, That is our big, you know, push right now. We're pretty excited about the prospect of that happening. Also a little terrified because like I've, you know, I've just shared with you, 10 years ago, I was like, I'm just going to start volunteering on my days off. And now I'm looking at, you know, buying an acreage and fencing in areas and, you know, boarding and classes and all sorts of stuff. So I think we're just ready for the next bigger step and helping more animals at a time or helping animals that other business models just aren't equipped to be able to support. So do you feel like oftentimes some people say that, you know, like it doesn't feel like a job because it's my passion, but you're a business owner. Does it feel like a job or does it still feel like something you love to do? No, I absolutely love it. And, you know, this is my like intense special interest, right? Like I just, my dad has been fixing cars for as long as he's been alive. His dad owned a collision repair facility. All of his brothers own collision related or mechanic related. My dad and my brother now fix cars. For three generations, they've just been intensely focused on really just honing the craft. And I am no different. With dogs, that is my thing. Like somebody tells me they own a dog, guaranteed you've just opened up an entire rant or TED talk or, you know, a question session for me about, what your dog's needs might be, how we might be able to help them, what's making their life great, how can we make it better? Like, I just can't stop. So this is the perfect outlet for that, like, insatiable thing that's going on inside of me. And how many dogs do you have right now? (laughs) I have three uh, 
and this is where we have to give special mention to my husband for allowing that to happen. Um, we've had two up until this spring, but we've just added a new addition. He's a six month old Pomeranian to our family. So we have a very assorted bunch. We've got a lab Husky Cross who's found at a garbage dump in rural Alberta. We have a purebred Staffordshire Terrier who is from a First Nations community and the family member wasn't able to keep her anymore. And then we have a purebred, very typical, confident little Pomeranian. So we're a very collective bunch here. You've got a busy family, dogs and people. Yeah. Dogs and people, for sure. <laughs> so as we sort of wrap up our conversation, why don't we go back in and do a couple of rapid fire questions? So sure. favorite memory of McMaster? Head and Hall, for sure. That's a place that makes me feel like that sense of welcome and that sense of community. Um, you know, it's all those little things that the, it's RAs, right? I feel like I've been to so many, yeah. No, yeah, it's the RAs. It's like, it's all those little touches that they put into, you know, the signs on your door, the themes for each floor, all that kind of stuff. To me, like, that's it. Cause that's where you get just this huge cross section of who's there and what's making McMaster McMaster. That particular residence for me, I think is uh, all of the things, favorite mem memories. There's a lot that I can conjure up. I'm like literally drifting off into memory as I'm thinking about that. That was a good question. Um, best recent purchase. Have you purchased anything recently that you were like, wow. Or there was like, I've always used, I, I tend to ask people to like your best COVID purchase. Well, the Pomeranian is really up there for me. That was a that was a solid purchase, but, um, I, um, I'm, because I've told you that my dad fixed cars for a living and, you know, my brother fixes cars and my grandpa fixes cars. My new car is actually like a Volkswagen. I didn't, I didn't know we have a whole thing, right? When you fix cars for a living, when the Volkswagen driver comes in, you're like, Oh, who's going to have to do this one. I am now an undying Volkswagen fan, apparently, because I have a new Taos that I cannot get enough of. It fits the dogs and the kid and I can drive it to work. And honestly, I love that thing. It's such a, uh, yeah it just gives me that feeling you know um are you reading any books that you have stood out for you or a podcast you like to listen to regularly you know what I um am such a <laughs> I rifle through audiobooks um with our local library we have the Libby app for that and I rifle through tons of books um I just read one called Neurotribes that I'm absolutely loving um we have a recent um autism diagnosis in our family so I'm starting to learn more and, and you know get more information and Neurotribes was such a cool book like it was this really nice contrast between like history and sociology and oh such a cool book I really really liked it do you have any travel destinations coming up any place you're going or are you are you kind of staying put these days you know we're we're I'm I've just done a bit of my traveling we were we were in Beaver Mines which is in um the Crow's Nest Pass in the mountains here we went a few weeks ago and we had an amazing time, like beautiful mountains, lakes. We were out on the lake boating, um, hiking, like just incredible. And I've just gotten back from Canmore where we were doing some hiking. Uh, we did a 16 kilometer hike in bear country, which was uh, nerve wracking because there's guides at the start of the trail telling you, you are going to see a bear today. What are you going to do? How do you deploy your bear spray? Um, yeah, I've been doing a bit of that. This month has been really busy. So I think I'm about to hunker down with the exception of going to uh, the Royal Tyrell Museum in Drumheller as a dinosaur museum. We're going to be taking my son there for his fourth birthday. He is so, so knowledgeable and enamored with dinosaurs. So we're going to take him there. But other than Drumheller, not a whole lot coming up for me. Do you get to get back to Ontario very often? 
You know, I'd really, really like to. Um, I was hoping to take my son and the new Pomeranian, and I was hoping for us to make a visit to Ontario this fall, but just with the way that the airports and stuff are, and uh, my son uh, is quite anxious and um, has difficulty with strangers and eye contact and some other things. We're thinking we're just going to wait until the airport situation is cleared up and it might be a bit more comfortable for him. And then we are really excited to visit my parents in Peterborough. Yeah. Oh, good old Peterborough. Lots of family there. It's a lovely place. It's a lovely place. Um, what's your idea of perfect happiness? Oh, I really like that question. I think that m- me starting my own business and cultivating, like crafting this life that I have for myself is the pursuit of that. So I don't know if I have the answer to that. I think I'm still trying to find it. But happiness for me means having awareness of self, um, being able to identify what my needs are and giving myself the permission to do that. You know, like, I think that is happiness for me. I mean, I have little things that I enjoy, like we can just drive an hour and be hiking in the mountains. I find that to be enjoyable, but that isn't like that big picture thing of what's really going to make my life happy. Those are things I do, you know, going out, looking after my garden, going to the mountains for a hike, hanging out with friends. Those are things that I do. But to me, I think happiness is in being in touch with knowing myself and giving myself permission to act on those things that I think want or need. Lovely. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. It's been so neat to come meet you and, and have a sense of your life and your journey past McMaster. And um, next time out in Calgary, we'll have to we'll have to meet the dogs. I'd like to meet the Pomeranian. Please do. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to meet you. <laughs> Thanks, Natasha. Thank you.